We wanted to make sure. Do we have to have someone sign as a co-signer on our checking account? Yes, in case we kick the bucket and they need my $24. Don? As long as it's a, an account that has a, a joint tenancy arrangement on it, if there's husband and wife, if one of you goes, the other one can still do it. If not, it may be wise to have an account that has somebody else on it as a joint owner. Technically, if it's just in your name and you, you pass away, the account's legally frozen. So it's a good idea to have someone else a little account, enough to pay for some final expenses or something until you get your will that Alan drew up probated. But uh, So it's a good idea to have a, a son or daughter or real somebody you trust to be a joint owner on at least one account. Even beyond that, uh, for, for a lot of us, if all you have is a bank account and maybe an investment account and a house and a car, which is pretty much covered, or, and maybe a retirement account. If you get all of your accounts set up so it is joint tenants with rider survivorship or payable on death, so those accounts pass automatically outside your will. Uh, if you get all of those set up right, uh, then you may not have to probate your will because if all you have when you're gone is a house and a car, that can be taken care of with what's, what's called an affidavit of airship, which is much, much less expensive than probating the will. So uh, for a lot of folks, it's good to have all your accounts set up like that. Can you explain the affidavit of airship a little bit? Okay, what, a, what an affidavit of airship is, that's used to pass title to real property. Uh, if you don't have a, a will to probate or don't go through the probate process, and, and what that is is a document that, and the title companies now usually require two, two different people to, to sign one, usually a family member and then a non-family member. But basically, it states the basic facts of when the person died, where they died, who their children were, and a few basic facts like that, so that the, uh, a title company looking at that can say, okay, we know, well, if you had a surviving spouse, uh, then this all went to the surviving spouse. If you didn't have a surviving spouse, then it went all to the kids. It's got the kids listed. So it passes under state law to those children, and so the title company's got some documentation to show who owns it. So it's a, a fairly simple process uh, that can be done to, to avoid probate in, in quite a few situations. Alan, what about deeding property over to children? Okay, so... A lot of people say, why don't we just go ahead and deed my house to my kids now, and that way they've got it, uh, and I don't have to worry about probate or doing anything because it's already theirs. Uh, that can work, 
but two or three factors to consider. One, if it's your house, you're going to lose a homestead exemption, your over 65 exemption for most of us. Well, not us. Uh, some of us. Uh, so, but those, the, the homestead exemption and over 65 or that really cuts your property taxes way down. So usually, uh, you know, you're hurting yourself property tax wise. Also, uh, let's say that house is worth a hundred thousand dollars and you bought it, uh, years ago for $50,000. If you give them that house during your lifetime, they get your basis of $50,000. So when they, they turn around and sell it one of these days for $100,000, they've got $50,000 of capital gains they're going to have to pay tax on. If you wait and give them that house when you die, they get a new basis in it of what it's worth at the time of your death. So it's got a basis of $100,000. If they sell it for $100,000, there's no capital gains taxes to pay. So, you know, there's some situations where going ahead and deeding it makes sense, but usually not. Usually you're, you're hurting yourself in some other ways when you do that. This would be ranchland property. Not uh, big acreage. Okay. Uh, again, basis is a huge factor. Now, uh, especially the land that's been in your family for a couple of generations that you might have inherited, you know, the basis in that might be $25 an acre, and it might be worth $1,000 an acre now. Now, basis only matters, really, if your kids sell it. And you may think, well, my kids will never sell it, so it doesn't make any difference. But... You know, you never know for sure what's going to happen down the road and where they may need to sell it one of these days. So, uh, again, it's, uh, you know, it works and in some situations, but you need to think about all those other things first. And let me throw in, Don talked some about Medicaid planning, where that, you know, you don't qualify for Medicaid to help you pay for nursing home bills until you spent down all your property down to $2,000. Some people will go ahead and deed away all their property uh, beforehand uh, just so they qualify sooner for Medicaid. And, and that really scares me in a lot of situations. Uh, you know, one, uh, you gave that property to your kids uh, what happens if they have a serious accident and they have creditors? You know, what happens if you need some money and they're not able to give it back? You know, so, you know, there's some other, there's some reasons to really think hard before you just give it away. Don? When, if we have um, investment, uh, like IRAs and stuff like that, um, do we specify with the investment people what happens if we pass, or does that something that goes to the will? And do we need to specify, like, what happens to all of that, well, you know, those, all of that money, the, you know, the, the right. thousands, all, the thousands all, of dollars, right. Elizabeth, all y'all know that Elizabeth is very wealthy, so, you know, that we have to do a little estate planning tonight. But yeah, what what you need to do where you can, and it goes back to what Alan was talking about, on any retirement accounts, uh, IRAs, uh, any kind of qualified money, money that has never been taxed, 
that has been set aside pre-tax for your retirement, you need to state a name beneficiary, a person, or persons. You can have technically as many as you want. We even talked about the fact you can have a charity be a beneficiary when you die, and it goes tax-free, obviously, to the charity. But if you name names, it allows the individuals that, you're, that are your beneficiaries to stretch the tax liability on that money through their lifetime. So it's a real advantage. If you don't name a beneficiary and it passes through your estate, through your will, and it's not extremely clear you know, who those beneficiaries were, you have at the most five years to get all that money liquidated and pay the tax on. Uh, We've just been in my office been working on a case just like that, and it's it's can be real significant tax if you don't name a name beneficiary on qualified money. On uh, after tax money, just regular investment accounts, it goes back to just being able to take care of the transfer of it at your death, and there probably the if if it's easy enough for you to do, you can set those up as transfer on death, where it's just like naming someone as a beneficiary or some, something, some group, some organization is a beneficiary. And it makes it uh, easy enough, and you don't have to go through probate to do that. Your death certificate is sufficient to transfer that property. Uh, if you've got a significant amount of property, it's probably a good idea for it to go through your estate if you might have estate tax issues, which kicks in at about $5.5 million. So... Uh, there's, when you get to that point, you need to go visit with Alan and, you know, determine exactly what the best way to, to transfer your assets at your death. Through the investment, right, through the investment uh, firm that you're working with. Like if you have TRS, which all teachers do in the public system, you know, you name your beneficiaries there. If you have IRAs. Uh, 401ks, you name those beneficiaries with the uh, custodian or provider of the plan. For stocks? Well, for stocks, uh, it can be, it can be exactly the same. Because if you own individual stocks, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when I spoke, if you have paper stocks, it's important to get them into an investment account at this point in time. Because there is no more paper stock issued. Uh, it's all electronic. So you need it in some form of an account uh, so that there's a good, clean record of it. Uh, and also you want a basis in it if you can get that, your cost, uh, which makes it a lot easier on everybody. Uh, but you can set your stocks up inside that account to transfer on your death to specific individuals through a transfer on death agreement normally. Uh, if not, you can let it pass through your estate, and it just goes based on what your will says. Uh, but it, you do have to probate it for it to go through your will. So it's more and more common nowadays for people to do transfer on death or pay on death, not only on their bank accounts, but their investment accounts, uh, just so that it transfers very easily and quickly. Uh, but again, there are some estates that you need to if you need to set up some trusts or things like that, Alan talked a little bit about that last week, you almost always need to run it through your will and probate it to get it set up, you know, to be the most efficient tax-wise. Or if you have a, a minor child inheriting some of it. What if you already have a will and you want to change it? Say you want to leave uh, 
your house or your some possessions to the church, what do you do then? You can amend a will by a document that's called a codicil, but that's all it is, is really an amendment. Uh, but, you know, if you take your will and you handwrite something in there and sign it, that has no legal effect. You have to go through the same formalities as when you've uh, signed your original will. Uh, so you can do the amendment, the codicil. A lot of times now with word processors, you know, the will's on computer and it's easier to just start over with a new will. Now, you can write your own will if it's totally in your handwriting uh, and you sign it and date it. Uh, it's a will. Uh, you, you can't type it up yourself and just sign it. You've got to totally uh, handwrite it. Or if you type it up and sign it before two witnesses, it's valid as a will. You know, you don't, uh, you know, of course you've got LegalZoom and all of these places for, you know, a lot of people that's probably okay. I guess I've never looked at one, but uh, so, but yeah, uh, you, you can't just change it on your old will. You have to do something uh, more formal than that. I wanted to get Pam and Paul to talk some about, uh, and I'll call it elder abuse, and I guess it's not, not always uh, abuse. You know, I see a fair number of situations uh, with people, older people, uh, are obviously more vulnerable to influence, and I, I see it more often than any other case with caregivers all of a sudden end up giving, getting a lot of property from someone. But Paul from the uh, financial end and, uh, and Pam from a physical end, uh, I know have a lot of experience with, you know, what do we need to be looking for uh, to, to recognize there might be some elder abuse going on. Well, I can give you examples of some elder abuse. Okay. Um, I had um, one patient that I removed from the home because he couldn't talk and when I would go see him he would cry every time he saw me um, I always um, document how much medications in the home we at, at hospice we provide narcotics and um, stuff to keep our families comfortable and we rely on our families they go through a pretty extensive questionnaire before their families are brought to the home and we really go through a lot of the medications with them. And I kind of really monitor that. And I noticed they were given some medications a lot. And he wasn't showing signs to me that he was having some problems. But he was sleeping all the time. And there was some family between the siblings kind of rivalry growing on. So through a lot of my investigation, I realized that what was happening was the family wanted him to sleep all day so they could go do their thing and um, he would just kind of be there and then they would come back and feed him 
and then give him more meds so he would sleep all day. And then this was like a round-the-clock thing. What they didn't want to do is spend the money to put him in a retire in a facility because it's six to seven thousand dollars a month. Um, and so I immediately, after an extensive investigation, really, I pulled him out of the home, put him in a five-day respite, did a little more investigation, and we ended up putting him in a home because what he's now completely alert talks to me through yes and no. I mean, it's a whole different person. So what was happening was this family didn't want to pay the money to take care of him, so they were drugging him. Um, A lot of times that's the abuse that I see is over-medicating to put them asleep so they don't have to deal with some of the behaviors. Now, there are times where, don't get me wrong, there are times where there are behaviors and you need to medicate, but that's one of them. Money is a huge um, abusive situation. We see the families fighting over money. I have... Uh, one family that the there was a, the lady was a medical power of attorney, and the rest of the kids told her that it's her job to keep him alive until they could all get there this weekend, and then they could let him die because they didn't want to pay anymore for him to be at a facility. It's it's so circled around money, and because they didn't get their affairs in order before they came on to hospice or. Um, especially at a facility. Um, the facilities, they sometimes they'll put them in a facility knowing that the facility won't really take care of them. And, you know, it's, I think, a proven um, statistic that after you put someone in a facility, nine times out of ten, I think they pass away within two months, I think is the... So money is a major reason for abuse most of the time. I was going to ask last week, did you guys talk about medical power of attorney? Okay. So I just wanted to make sure that that was covered. I wasn't here for that. Yeah, that's a huge problem um, is, um, and, you know, understanding that once a medical power of attorney is signed and then they're no longer mental capacity, you can't change it. So, you know, that's a make sure that your medical power of attorney has your wishes. It's a huge it's a huge importance that you make sure they have your same, that you're very clear with what your wishes are with that. Brian, I had gotten a note saying somebody wanted to ask about a DNR, but I'm not sure what the question is. Did you? I remember seeing something like that, but I don't, I don't know what the question was. I missed a DNR, didn't you? A little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what is wanting to know about a DNR, but okay.
Any other questions? If not, I guess we'll go ahead and close it out. So, um, one, going once, going twice. Oh, Lynn? I have a question. Oh. I would like to say thank you to our panel. Oh, yeah. All yeah. Thank you all very much. Yeah, and I'll say that um, Tommy and I are doing, you know, we do this for Harper Funeral Home. I just kind of do it just because they don't have anybody else to ask. But there are, Harper does this throughout San Angelo. I know that we're doing one at Rio Concho. Sometime in May, it's on my calendar. We're doing one at Village East. Um, they do this around the city to try to inform everyone um, what you know the importance of planning ahead. It's so important at planning ahead, and and um, so if you missed anything, you can probably talk to Tommy about getting back and kind of trying to fill in some of that. So. Well, let me close us out with a prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for uh, this time that we've had, and, and again, for the conversations we've had over the last uh, four or five weeks. And um, uh, we just ask for your blessing upon us as we do what we need to do. And Father, we ask for your protection. Um, we know that uh, you're all-powerful and almighty, uh, Yet we also know that we're vulnerable, and uh, so we pray for wisdom and discernment, uh, that we will uh, be willing to ask questions, to uh, go ahead and second-guess ourselves, and uh, pay closer attention to things that we need to be on the lookout for. Um, And not just for ourselves, but that as uh, is called upon us, that we would also be looking out for those that are near us. Um, thank you for the wisdom that uh, these people have shared with us. And we pray your blessings upon us as we leave this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.